0: revelation 15 now in your scriptures we're going to study god's word and you're the church you're at a church service right now i know when you drove in you thought it was a warehouse and you were going to get some free coffee and stuff like that but it's a church and so we're going to study god's word and this is going to remind you and equip you and help you to be the church because whether you know it or not the church believers christ himself the bible fill in the blanks we're all under attack there's stuff going on right now and as we study the book of revelation We're getting a sneak peek into the future of what's going to happen on planet Earth during the Great Tribulation, where God promises to pour out his wrath, listen, on a God-forsaking, Christ-rejecting, sinful world. And he promises to do this, but he's not only going to pour out his wrath because, check this out, check this out, check this out, because God is just, and he is righteous, and he is holy, and he must He cannot just look at sin and depravity and evil and abuse and then wink and pretend it didn't happen. He has to deal with it, but on the other side, he is so, 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 so patient. He's so patient. Like I said last week, if I was part of the Trinity, you know, and they let me run the, the nuke button for a day, you know, and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Luke, you know, and I get the, the keys, and I'm going to hit that nuke button, take care of stuff, you know. And God says, no, because today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of grace. This is the time where God wants to use the church To be the light, to be the hands, to be the feet, like Daniel Fusco said in that short video, God wants to anoint men and women to rise up, to be planted on the Holy Spirit, and to be the hands and feet in these last days. Last night, I went to the Toledo Boomer basketball game. It was a hopeful playoff game, a buy-in game against Sheridan, and number 14 against number two, And, and the winner goes on to the state tournament in Pendleton later on this week, and so I went to support the Boomers, and and right around the fourth quarter, they were up by 32 points. So I figured, you know, I could leave. My prayers had done their job, and they were going to win the game without me, you know. So, so, so I left the game, and I, and I had to study some more, but I didn't want to go home because I have too many kids there, you know, arguing for my attention. So I said, honey, I'm not coming home. I'm going to go to Georgie's. And so I went to Georgie's, and I pulled in, and they were slamming. So I, I, I said to the guy at the front, I was like, can I go sit at the bar? Usually that's kind of how it works, you know, go sit at the bar. There's So, yeah, I, go ahead. so I went to, the, I had my laptop and my commentaries and my Bible, and I sat down at the bar and ordered a Rick special, you know, steak and some, you know, rice and some other, and glass of water, in case you're curious, and a glass of water, and, and I'm sitting there, you know, like my stuff, you know, watching basketball, and this guy sits up next to me, he's from Texas, and he orders a Rasputin, you know, and I was talking about his beer of choice, and. And he kept glancing over at my, you know, choice. And I had this book there that was called Unlocking the End Days, you know. And I got my Bible, studying Revelation 15. I could tell he's drinking his Rasputin, you know, looking at my Bible like, oh, you know, what's going on here? And just so you guys know, I don't normally go to Georgie's on Saturday nights and prepare my sermons there. It's not normal, but I felt the Lord was, was doing something. And so I engaged him in conversation. We began to talk about the Lord and about church. In his own synopsis, he said, oh, yeah, the church. He said, I grew up in a highly religious family. He said, but the church these days, and the church, it's just, it's, it's irrelevant. It's unappealing. It's in atrophy. It's in decline. People don't want to be a part of the church. And I began to hear him say this, and I agree with him in a sense. But then I said, yeah, but have you been to South Beach Church? I said, I agree with you, bro. I said, that's, that's, that's why I do what I do because I believe the church is more relevant now than ever before. And I believe while that's true on a sliding scale and in certain areas, I said, but here in Newport, there's no reason for things to grow. It's a socioeconomically depressed environment. And yet when the gospel is preached and people are hear that the sheep are fed, and I said, what we're experiencing is something profound where God's waking people up. And we've created an atmosphere where we're we're biblically conservative. We believe in the Bible. Everything it says, yet we're, we're trying to reach out to the highways and the byways. And he was encouraged and he was intrigued. And yet the reality is, is you and I forget sometimes that's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Reaching out, whether it's all the way to Nigeria, if God puts that on your heart, for sure. Or whether it's all the way to Georgie's, you know. Or to wherever you live. And you seek to be that person. But let me just throw out four words at the beginning of the teaching now. And let me remind you, we're in Revelation 15. It's eight verses long. It's the shortest chapter in all of Revelation. But I can still preach for at least an hour on this chapter, so don't worry about nothing. I got you. I'm not going to give you a short sermon. You know what I'm saying? Let me give you four words that are very important, though. This might go over your head. Write them down so it doesn't. The first word is theology. Theology is a study of God a right understanding of who he is. This is what we're doing. We're studying God so we know who he is. Theology, theos, and all the study of God. Everyone in the world is a theologian. Not everyone in the world is a good theologian. Some people establish and receive their theology from watching The Simpsons, okay? Or Family Guy or something else. Just, you know, that's not a good place. You need to study the word of God. And when you study theology, it's going to lead to then, another big word, an orthodoxy. Okay? An orthodoxy is what you believe based on what you've learned, you studied some stuff. You figured it out. You're like, okay, I believe this is what it says about God and what it says about me and what it says about the world. Therefore, I have an orthodoxy. And you become an orthodox Christian. That is, you are one who believes and accepts the major tenets of the scriptures. There are some unorthodox Christian churches and they're outside of what God teaches. Now, there's an orthodox, I'm an orthodox Christian. In that way, I believe the truth. And here's the deal, though. It goes the next step further. Your theology must lead to an orthodoxy, but then it has to lead to a doxology. A doxology. A doxology is a response, okay, to what you believe after you've done what you've studied. A doxology, it literally means a praise song or a lifestyle or worship because of what you believe, because of what you've learned. This is where you get on an airplane and go to Nigeria. This is where you do certain things for God. Doxa. It's it's an, it's an action, not just a song. It is that. This, isn't, please play this is not only when you do something for God, listen though, it's also when you say, I'm not gonna do that for God. The, the ways of this world, have you noticed that the ways of this world are getting crazier and slipperier and weirder? And the things that are allowed and accepted and promoted and, and, and presented to us, man, we gotta be careful. And I want you guys who are here studying with me to be good theologians, to become orthodox in your conclusion. But if you are a good theologian and you have good orthodoxy, but it doesn't turn into a doxology, it doesn't turn into something, you've just become religious. You ever met a person who knows God, apparently, knows the scriptures, has their orthodoxy, their convictions, but there's no reciprocation of love and worship and purpose. They're they're just a religious person. Have you met that person? Have Have you been that person before? I've been that person before. Where you look at others and look at things and you say, well, I know know the truth. Yeah, I'm over here. I did my part. Just waiting for that rapture to happen. Just waiting for that rapture. I got my rapture shoes on, my rapture, you know, tennies. I'm rapture ready. You guys know what the rapture is, right? The rapture, I I believe, is that time where God rescues his children before this scene we're about to study today. Before the wrath of God is poured out on a God-forsaking, Christ-rejecting, sinful world friend of mine who's watching our series up in Washington, real long-time friend, 30 years long, he called me and he was talking and, and he was arguing a little bit with me. He doesn't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. He believes in the mid-tribulation or the post-tribulation rapture. That is after the tribulation has begun or at the very end. Then we'll be led to be met with Jesus, but we're gonna have to go through the tribulation period and we got to talking about that on Monday. And, and the question I didn't get to ask him and I will next time we talk is, look, man, his name's Patrick, he might be watching right now, is Patrick. You, you believe that we're going to be here for the tribulation. I believe we'll be rescued. Let me ask you this question. Do you hope that I'm right and you're wrong? <laughs> you, can, you can believe what you want, you know, but do you, do you secretly hope I'm right? Like, let's be honest, you know. Man, when I was a super zealous Christian, first got saved, fired up with my gospel gun, man, I was ready to go, and I prayed, Lord, let me be here during the tribulation period, that, 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 Rambo style, you know. I'm like, I'm over it. I'm ready to go, man. Here's here's, here's the idea. Here's the idea. What we're about to study today is at the end of the tribulation period. It's in the future. It's gonna happen. It's where God finally pours out his final judgments. The seal judgments have been poured out. We've already studied that. The trumpet judgments, they've been poured out. In order to shake up people, wake them up, Make them up and take them up in order to save. And we've seen salvation happen. And now it's as if seven years into it, there's still some people who are la 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 to the things of God. And he says, All right, I got one more set. One more set. It's gonna be the nastiest set. When you read chapter 16, I meant to teach chapter 16 today, too. It's not gonna happen. And then chapter 16, man, it gets gnarly. as we understand theology and who God is, He is both just and true and righteous. And yet he is patient. Remember last week, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I read it to you. It said that the patience of God, the perseverance of God, the long suffering of God is salvation. What are we doing here right now? What's God doing right now? Shaking people up. He's waking people up. Both globally and on a macro scale, but also individually on a micro scale. Did you know right now in your life, if you're feeling shook up, just a little bit wacky, just a little bit, you know, things are crumbling on you. It's not the wrath of God if you're a Christian, but it could be the tribulation of this world. Anybody going through tribulation right now? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that about? When I go through tribulation, man, I, I, I tend to, whoa, Lord. And, and he gets my attention by his grace and his mercy. So as we study this through, you're going to find yourself learning. And therefore, being able to be a good witness to, to the guys you meet at Georgie's. I don't know if we're friends on Facebook or not, y- you and I, but I started a fight on Facebook last week. Did you guys see my fight I started? It was, it was really cool. And, and so I put on Facebook, here's what I put on Facebook. I said, hey, to all my atheist friends. Remember that one? Remember that? Now you know. <laughs> remember, remember? Now you know. Anyways, I said to all my atheist friends, I said, and I said, the honest question. I said, what evidence... Did you discover that led you to being an atheist? What evidence? What, what moon rock did you, you know, break in half and see the center? What tree did you cut down and count the lines? What, what shooting star? What, what, what rainbow? What keyword evi- Keyword evidence? What led you to, oh yeah, I just figured it out. There's no God. I just, I just figured it out. And not one person has been able to answer. There's been some people with thoughts and argumentative, and I haven't touched any of it. I just decided to just pray, drink some decaf, you know. Go into it, calm, haven't been there yet. I don't know what calm is yet, but I'm gonna get there. But nobody's been able to come up with this grand, oh, here's where I figured out ontologically with my mind, there's no God, because you can't. If you open up your eyes at all, if you just look around, there is evidence, keyword, evidence, okay, of divine design, a creator, every single where you look. And if you double click on any of it, it expands a little bit, it opens up, it expands, it opens up, and then if you begin to study the scriptures and begin to look at the history and the claims and begin to look at the prophecies, it begins to make sense. And so that's our job description as believers, as the Church of God. It's my job description as a pastor. And if you're like me or like Jan or like Pastor Adam, and you're just a person. Anybody here just a person? You're, you're just a person. Later this week, I think on Tuesday. I have to get up early, and I drive to Silverton. And right in the hills of Silverton, there's the Christian Renewal Center, and there's a small Koinonia Bible College that meets up there, Bible school, and and I'll be teaching up there all day Tuesday and all day Wednesday and all day Thursday and all day Friday, the entire book of Acts. And there's a small group of students up there and faculty, And, and I'm gonna be honest, in my flesh, I don't wanna go. You know what I'm saying? And yet the Lord's saying, Luke, you pour into those students. That's the next generation. That's the church. And they're gonna be picked on. There's gonna be battles. And they need to have a firm foundation underneath them. Listen, of who God is, that he is good, that he is patient. And what God is doing, lest you or I or they or them be caught off guard. So, with the time we have remaining, we're gonna go through the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. We timed it this way on purpose. Good job, We did this on purpose. I'm gonna pray real quick and ask God to bless us. I do believe we'll be back in chapter 15 next week to clean it up again. It's gonna happen, but I'm gonna do my best, okay? (laughs) Father, in Jesus' name now, as we read just a few verses together, I pray for my friends here that they would consider themselves theologians that is bearers of the truth, responsible to the covenant of God. And they would have that orthodoxy and it would lead to a doxology that is a response, a life that is different. They would do things after today's Bible study that they weren't doing. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's worship, maybe it's serving. And they would stop doing things after this Bible study that, that they were doing things that aren't right. And I pray that the world around us would see you, and even as we get picked on and, and misunderstood, like, like on Facebook we would know that we stand on a firm foundation. So would you bless us and and speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Look at verse one of chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous. I like the way John words this for us he says guys what i saw next man and if you've been studying with us through the book of revelation we've seen some crazy things and now he's like dude it gets even crazier i saw another sign great and marvelous he describes it to us seven angels having seven last plagues for in them the wrath of god is complete And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing. Stop right there, eyes up here. John now looks to heaven and he sees another sign. Can I just say right off the bat? In your journey, in your tribulation, in your testing, in your darkness, keep looking to heaven for signs and wonders and direction. Keep looking. Every time you look and seek first the kingdom of God, he promises to meet you. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened up to you. But if you're not seeking, asking, and knocking, and you're walking around lost, really the ball's in your court. I call this progressive revelation. where The Lord speaks to you and speaks to me one step at a time and maybe you're like me and the Lord has directed you this far and you've got history and you've got journal entries and you've got some profound moments but you're right here and it's like whoa I need more revelation for my marriage I need more revelation for my parenting I need more revelation right now for my singleness or for my business I need another fresh word and here John's like I saw another word let me just encourage you okay if God's brought you this far he didn't just bring you this far just to bring you this far Write that down. (laughs) Okay? He's got more. This is actually really important. I've been doing this for just like a little bit of time, a couple decades. The guy next to me last night drinking his Rasputin, he said, how long you been a pastor? He had a real, how long you been a pastor, you know? And I was like, wow, like over 20 years. That sounds like a long time. And and throughout that time, God's given me direction. But guess what? I need more. I need more for for the next, for tomorrow. I need more. And he's got it. And he sees this, and I believe God showed him this marvelous scene where these seven angels come out with these seven bowls. These are thin bowls that are wide. Imagine a laver, if you would, full of the wrath of God. But he didn't just see the wrath of God in these seven angels' hands. Did you notice what else he saw? It says there in verse Two, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have overcome stop right there as appear. And he gives us the four attributes they overcame. The mark of the beast, the image of the beast, the beast himself, and the number of man. They, they overcame these things. So just imagine with me, John sees before the last plagues are poured out, he sees the plagues, these seven angels. They're clothed in white, pure, perfect, perfection and judgment metered out by God. But additionally, not did he see that, he saw people who'd been saved during the tribulation because God is not just just and he will have his way, but he's also patient and he's saving people every single day. I like this contrast because it helps you and I as theologians to be able to know who God is, to be able to defend who God is when he comes under attack or you and I come under attack by people who don't understand the Lord. Because when you read this, that he comes out, these angels with the wrath of God, notice what it says in verse one. These are the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete, okay? Literally it means full. It's topped off. The bowls are now full. Whereas in times past, even today, all right now, the bowls aren't full. The Lord is still, to quote Genesis six, striving with man. Man is still kicking against him and God is still taking it. There will be a time though where his wrath is up that's enough. Moms and dads, you know when that's enough, don't you? Last night at the basketball game, man, it was crazy. These refs were playing a tight game. Man, there was 55 fouls called in the first 10 seconds. It was nuts. Like, foul, foul. I got a foul called on me, man, you know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they were everything was like just let them play and at one point it was so crazy the other opposing team one of the coaches was arguing about something and out of nowhere the, the ref just said you've been warned official warning and all this stuff and like one more warning you're gonna get teed up you know and it's like whoa we we're all scared and and as you know how it works in basketball you get like three fouls four fouls and, and eventually you're done but it's calculated it's methodical here's something i need you to understand about god's wrath i need you to get this theologians because people don't like the wrath of God. They hate, oh, you you serve a God that has wrath, he's gonna take people out, oh man, what a jerk. Listen, he is so, so, so patient. He's so patient, not willing that any should perish. He should've came back a long time ago, but he didn't because he wants to save more people. The word wrath in the scriptures has two different Greek words. This particular word is hot, listen, passionate, calculated wrath. It's with a purpose. You ever lost your temper before? Just like freaked out? It's called summer traffic. Happens all the time. You freak, rah, rah, you know, ah, lose your salvation on 101, you know, it happens. <laughs> this is not God losing his temper. This is not God coming to the, you know, letting off some steam. I'm just going to wipe everyone out, man. I'm tired of it. This is methodical. Purposeful wrath. Balanced with purposeful, methodical salvation. Now, I'm going to be honest. We live in a soft world, don't we? It's soft. Nobody's in trouble anymore. Nobody's in trouble. Whatever you want to do. Okay, whatever you want to do. In the Bible, no. No, there's trouble, there's error. There's evil, there's wrong, there's right and wrong, there's there's, there's good, it's just the way it is, and we don't like that, man. God says, well, I'm gonna give you some patience. But the wrath of God will be poured out because it's the right thing to do. God was so patient in Noah's day when he told Noah to build an ark. For decades and decades and decades and decades and decades Noah built this ark, giving people the opportunity then to repent. They didn't do it. They hardened their hearts. The flood came. After that, this, this, this word plague comes into my mind. And, and we don't like the word plague, but it reminds us of the book of Egypt or the book of Exodus where the children of Israel are in Egypt and God tells Pharaoh, you better let my people go. And he messes with them and he gets a plague and he gets two plagues and then he gets three plagues and then he gets four plagues and he gets, he gets 10 plagues, man. How patient is that? How many guys would have given Pharaoh 10 plagues? You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't have done it, man. You would have wiped him out. God's patient. He's patient with the Ninevites. The Babylonians, the children of Israel. Has God been patient with you? You ever gone through some seasons in your life where it just feels like you're being plagued? Yeah, and he's trying to get your attention. He doesn't want to wipe you out. He wants to save you. But if you continue to run in your rebellion, as a matter of fact, let me just tell you one story. Theologians, you guys are Bible students, you can handle this. When God chose Abraham, he looked at Abraham And he told Abraham, he said, your generation, your people are going to be my chosen people. And he went on to prophesy. And he said, but here's what's gonna happen first. Your people, your kids are gonna be put into Egypt for 400 years. He prophesied this to Abraham until the iniquity of the Amorites is full. What? The Amorites lived in the promised land. They were bad guys. And God gave them 400 years to repent, to stop their wickedness. And then finally God delivered the children of of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. You guys know the story where they had to listen, wipe out the Amorites. Again, you ever read the Old Testament before? It's rated R, man, it's crazy. And the Amorites, you guys know how the Amorites, you ever studied about the Amorites? Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, flashlights and websites, all those guys, man. They're all there. And God took them all out. The Amorites, though, these guys were so bad, so paganistic and crazy, that when they would build their homes, they would wall up their their foundations and they would take their firstborn kid and stick him in the foundation and wall him up alive as an offering to the fertility gods. And they would listen to their kid moan and whine and starve to death and suffocate and all the rest, because that's what they would do and they would cut their enemies' babies out of their wives' bellies and blast them on the rocks, it was just like crazy, savage stuff. And God says, hey, don't do that. Stop. stop, 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 don't do that. You know what they would do? La, 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 we're doing it. And God, for many reasons, mercy, says, you know what I'm gonna you know have to do? I'm gonna have to take you out. I'm to, we, don't like to, we don't like that. I'm gonna take you out. It'd be like this, though. Let's say that during the sermon right now, a a rabid dog or a pack of dogs came in, rat rabies, came flying in here with their fangs furrowed and their backs haired up and blood dripping and foaming and their eyes glossed over, you know, and they began to run around biting people, okay? And these rabid dogs, man, their days are numbered. They're already infected. It's too late for them. And it would be my job as a shepherd to pull out a weapon and start taking these dogs down. I wouldn't look at these dogs and say, wait, 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 wait. Let's just give these rabid dogs a chance. They identify as rabbit dogs. Let's, you know, they, they have every right to do this. It's, it's, it's okay. And, you know, I wouldn't, we wouldn't. And I, and I don't want to kill a dog. Nobody wants to kill a dog. Let's just, let's just. For that dog's sake. Did you know that dog is suffering? You see, it's suffering. It's hurting. This is great. This is beyond our pay grade, by the way. We don't get to make these decisions. God, in his infinite wisdom, says, I'll do it. We'll see that when he shows up in the Revelation, it's his robe, Jesus Christ, that is dipped in blood. He's the one. I don't want to go out there and tell people, you know? So I don't get to. Jesus does. Because I believe he has the compassion to meter out justice. And the Amorites were wiped out because they would infect the Israelites, and that dog is suffering. It's as good as gone. It's just the facts, and if we don't take that dog out, it will infect others. This wrath, and I just want you guys who who are wrestling with this, verses one and two, seven angels, pure white. We're gonna see, it's only eight verses. I'm gonna read the entirety before I send you guys out of here, but then it is a solemn moment but there's also a bunch of guys that don't give in. Look what happens in verse three. It says, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. I believe they're singing two songs here. Only one song is recorded. Two songs are mentioned. The very first praise song in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15, the very first praise song. The very last praise song, right here. The very first praise song, sung by Moses and the children of Israel after they were delivered from Pharaoh, after they were protected from the Red Sea, these people who are about to sing this song, I need you to f- pay attention to this. They're the ones who didn't take the mark of the beast. They didn't bow down to his image. They didn't go and be part of that system and they paid the ultimate price. How would they do that? How would they, how would they abstain? By God's grace and God's grace alone. You know when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the only way they survived was miraculous provision. Those who abstain from the ways of this world in the future, they're not gonna have the ability to buy and sell and receive food and water. They're just not. So, some will die. Some will be provided. I don't know how. Here's my point. It says in verse three that these had victory, or verse two, these had victory over the beast. I'm kind of a competitive individual. I don't know if you know that yet. And so if there's a, a contest of sorts, it changes my outlook on what's going on. And when I saw this word victory last night in verse two, these had victory over the beast. I was like, oh, it's a battle, it's a challenge. What was their victory? To not become part of the world. And can I just put that upon you right now? You guys are in a test as believers. It's a test, straight up bona fide test. The angels, the Bible tells us, we'll see this in Hebrews, are peering into your life. What's she gonna do? What are they gonna do? What are they doing? seeing how you navigate through this test. And when I realized that this world's trying to take me down, when I saw some of those Facebook comments that came back to that fight that I started, and I saw, man, it kind of messed with me, and I had to, how am I gonna fight? I'm gonna firmly put my feet on the foundation that I know is true. I'm gonna put roots down and fruits out, okay? As we read through the book of Acts, we just finished the book of Acts, men and women getting picked on and brutalized. As we read through the Bible, we see Jesus Christ who stood on the firm foundation and had his clothes ripped off his body and nailed to a Roman cross. It was a fight. You guys are in a fight right now. And let me remind you that your fight for Jesus Christ will do two things. It will encourage you to do things for him and it will motivate you to not do certain things of this world against him. You feel the pull. You feel the pull of the world. Do stupid stuff. Get carnal. Get weird. You feel. I feel them. Don't just look at me like I'm the only one up here. You know what I'm saying? You guys are like, I'm not gonna say nothing. Yeah. You feel the pull. These overcame. They overcame. What does that mean for you today? Man, I just. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta shake it off sometimes, get back in the ring. All right, oh yeah, that's, what, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. These guys sing a song. I want you to see this. Look at verse three. I'm gonna make a few comments. I'm not gonna keep it too much longer, I promise. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, and here's their song, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, And glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Stop right there, eyes up here. Just some simple observations. In this short song, they say, you, yours, yours, you, you, and yours. You, yours, you, yours, you, you, and yours. They get to heaven. First thing, they're like, dude, give me a harp. I got this jam in my mind. I want to just sing it, you know. The first place they should have gone they had their heads cut off on planet Earth. They should have gone to the HR department, and filed a complaint. My life was real tough for me, you know. I'll talk to somebody. That was real bogus down there. No. They get to heaven, God gives them a harp. Which to me is just funny. I can play a guitar a little bit because I've forced myself to learn how. But can you imagine if somebody gave you a harp like right now? You'd be like, what am I doing with this? You know, like put this on eBay like yesterday. <laughs> like, I don't need a harp. You get to heaven, man, you're going to be a harpist, lead singer. You're going to be praising God as well. And these guys, when they get to heaven, they hit their knees. Doxology. You, oh Lord, praise you. Marvelous and great are your works. What works? The work of salvation. The work of creation. The work of preservation. You name it, just trip out. Go next level. I got all kinds of stuff in my notes here to teach you guys about what the marvelous works of God. We don't have time for it, but they're... Theology led to an orthodoxy that led to a doxology. See, <laughs> these guys are our example. Sometimes I don't want to praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, this morning at the 8.30 time, we have an 8.30 prayer meeting. You're all invited to come to that right before our nine. And I was at the 8.30 prayer meeting, and, and Gina was praying. And at one point, I, I, I put my hands in my pockets. I was right, right here. And, and the Lord just kind of spoke to me. He's like, that's not the posture of prayer. You know? Mm, mm. You're nothing wrong with having your hands. Mm, you know? And I was like, Oh. What am I doing, you know? And I, I pulled my hands out and I just, I, I got back into it. I was like, Lord, are you for real? You're the Lord, you know? And he's so patient. He was just being nice. He was like, "Look, press in, man. Press in. Don't get slow. Don't get slack in pursuing the Lord. And that's what these verses are for. That's what the intention of this is. And we're gonna talk about some of this stuff next week. How great and how marvelous he is, just and true. Holy and righteous, all these, these things. Look at verse five. After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Verse five is like a tongue twister. The temper, the t- <laughs> see, I didn't even do that on purpose. I'm gonna read it again. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. What in the world is, it? if you're not an Old Testament buff, you don't know what's going on in the Old Testament. Okay, the temple of tabernacle of testimony was where God met the Holy of Holies. It's like the legitest part of the temple is like where God actually dwelt. Okay, we're talking like Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, one guy once per year can only go in there and he goes in to offer sacrifices and he's got this garments on and on the bottom of his garments, he's got these little golden pomegranates that jingle and make noise and they tie a rope to his right ankle when he goes in and when he's doing the things in there, they listen and they can hear the jingling of the pomegranates and if they don't hear the jingling anymore, it means he died. Okay, it's so holy, and if he died, the only way to get him out is to pull the rope, like, get Bill, he didn't make it, you know, (laughs) whatever. And And here in heaven, this idea of intimacy with the Lord is opened up. And I would just put this on you in closing thoughts. It's opened up to these tribulation saints right before the judgment is poured out, but it's opened up right after worship has gone up. Let me ask you this question. This holy of holies, where God is, the intimacy, don't even like look around or answer me, but how close is God to you right now? Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, he's somewhere. He's kind of like the sun on the Oregon coast. Like, you know, he's there, but I'm not quite sure. You know what I mean? Listen, God is always there, okay? Have a good theology. He's always there. And if you want to, like, enter into his presence, I would just challenge you, worship. Just sing. I guarantee you. If, if, Seek him and you'll find him. Worship him. If he's not there, it's not because he's not there. It's literally because you're not there. And the invitation is open. A couple of verses, and I'm not going to expand on these. I'm just going to read them so you have the context. Out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, and having their chest girded with gold bands. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. No one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Guys, this is going to happen. The temple's been open, but now when the judgment pours out, the severity of god will be poured out on a god forsaking christ rejecting sinful world but you know what today is today's the age of grace today's the day of salvation it's still available and even when all of these things begin to shake down even then god's heart for every single sinner myself included is to give our lives over to him and to receive his free will offering I'm going to have Ryan come up, and he's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, we take the cup, and we take the bread, which remind us of Jesus' blood and Jesus' body that was exposed on the cross. That even Jesus in that area 2,000 years ago when he was rejected, his response to that rejection then was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Did you know that Jesus said seven things on the cross while he was dying? The second thing he said on the cross, the very second thing, was an answer to the first thing. The first thing he said was, "Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do." The second words out of his mouth: "Today, you will be with me in paradise." Can you imagine? Just just do the math. Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, Father," if he's naked, he deserves that. He does not deserve that. And his patience is so enduring. And he prays, Lord, would you forgive these people? Immediately. The guy on his right asks for forgiveness. Dude, will you remember me? I'm about to die for murder. You're the Lord. Would you remember me? He confessed his sin. He honored Jesus and his deity, and he asked to be saved. And Jesus, I don't even know if Jesus could see him. His eyes would be swollen shut from the Roman fist that pounded his head in. And Jesus just, yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the long-suffering of our Savior. You guys are theologians in a warehouse this morning studying so that way you know how to be victorious over this world and its ploys. That way you know how to be a witness to the world that is making up its own narrative. Justifying sin openly. Just, it's okay. Where God says, no, that's... And God gives hundreds and hundreds of years. And so would we both today know the grace of God and the severity of God? and worship him as such. Would you guys bow your heads? Lord, in Jesus' name now, as we come to the table of communion. We're reminded of what happened 2,000 years ago. Evidence, creator, dying for his creation. And and if you're here this morning, and you know what, you're not sure about all these things, but but your, your heart is connected right now with the Lord, and he loves you, and you feel his love, you feel his pleasure, you feel his call. He wants to save you today's that day. If, that's, if you're here and you want to be saved today, today's the day of salvation and you sense His call on your life, would you right now respond to that simply just by raising up your hand to the Lord? Right now, just raise up your hand. I see hands going up. I see two, three, four. Anybody join these? Just say, yeah. Yes, Lord. Save my soul. Raise up your hand right now. Just extend to Him. Join these four that have their hands up right now. In Jesus' name. Five. Lord not too late. Just raise up your hand. Just put it, just slip it up. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. You're the Savior, the Lamb. Come into the world to give your life a ransom for us, that we might live, that we might be set free, that we, the rabid dog, we're no different than anybody else, that we, Lord, might receive healing and forgiveness that comes from your blood. You can put your hands down And Lord, as we come to the table, we thank you. And we ask that you would firm up our foundation as believers, as theologians, as witnesses, as missionaries, as teachers, as moms and dads, men and women, young and old, single and married, that we would resolve today to not waffle, to not waver, but to be victorious. Our victory is found at the table. So Lord, as we fight our battles, would you be honored as we examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you return. We take communion in Jesus' name, amen.